interest in cryptozoology started when I was about nine years old. My family um, had picked this one particular campground to vacation at um, that summer. Of course, the lake was crystal clear, but there was an odd thing about this campground. It couldn't get me in the rowboat or anything. I just, nope. They decided for family movie night, the Patterson-Gimlin film and The Legend of Boggy Creek. So that is what started my interest into all things unexplained. You're listening to the Cryptid Creatures Podcast with Todd and Brian. If you've had an encounter and want to be on the show, email us at info at cryptidcreatures.co or visit our website at www.cryptidcreatures.net. This is the Cryptid Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Todd. What's up, buddy? Hey, Brian. How you doing, man? Are you ready for our guest tonight? I am ready. We are bringing on Shatan Noir. Yes, she is the owner and editor-in-chief of Squatch GQ magazine. Yes, she is. She's got a lot of stories. She's she's a cryptozoologist. I think she's really into the, the sea creatures. She is. In fact, I think she talked about some of those at the uh, last show we saw. Right? Well, let's not waste any more time, man. Let's bring her on. Yeah. Yeah, man. Let's get her. Hey, Shatan. Thanks for coming on and talking to us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Uh, we got to talk to you a little bit at the uh, Michigan Bigfoot Conference up there. And, yeah, that was uh, a wonderful conference. I'm uh, so pleased with the turnout that they had, and uh, yeah. everybody was just, you know, really nice. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was fun. It was really cool. We had a good time, met a lot of cool people like mm-hmm. yourself, and you were, a, you were a guest speaker there as well. Yes. Do you do a lot of that? Do you guest speak a lot these days? Or? Oh yeah, I do. Um, that's that's between running the magazine company and uh, doing presentations. That's what fills up most of my time. So I do um, speaking engagements at uh, paracons, cryptozoology events, libraries, podcasts. So I do this quite a bit. Actually, this week alone, I've got six different podcasts that I'm going to be on. So. Oh, wow. Well, I hope we're the we're the best one. That, that, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, right. You've got a huge background. I don't know where to begin. Um, you you have your own podcast, uh, Into the Liminal Abyss Paranormal Podcast. Um, you are have uh, Squatch GQ magazine. Um, yep. You're the author of Lake Monsters, Odd Creatures, and Great Lakes. Mothman and other flying creatures of the Midwest. Uh, you're, you're just heavily into uh, cryptozoology. You, you are a cryptozoologist yourself. Um, what got you started in all this? What, what, where's your background? So my interest in cryptozoology started when I was about nine years old. And uh, it was during the summertime, and my family um, had picked this one particular campground to vacation at um that summer and it was called crystal lake uh campground of course the lake was crystal clear but there was an odd thing about this campground and that was that they had a six foot alligator in a dog kennel 
uh, with a cement pond and um, they would tell all the kids that the alligator came out of the lake. So that right there meant I was not swimming. I was not going fishing. I was not going anywhere near the water because obviously those people pulled that thing out of there and that's probably, you know, uh, that we're going to be eaten. So <laughs> couldn't get me in the rowboat or anything. I just, nope. And then uh, one particular weekend, they decided for family movie night on Saturday night that the perfect movies to show was the Patterson Gimlin film and the legend of Boggy Creek. Mm. And nine-year-old me spent the next 45 minutes hiding in the women's bathroom because those things are out there and they were going to come through the campground and grab the little kids and run off with them. So two very nice older women escorted me back to um, our truck camper. And after that, I started getting a subscription to Fate magazine. And started going to the, the used bookstore at the end of the, uh, the road and would buy anything and everything on the paranormal and cryptozoology. And back then, everything was logged under the you know, umbrella turn of uh, uh, new age. So now mm -hmm. we have you know, different categories. You've got cryptozoology, you've got the paranormal, you've got high strangeness, you've got ufology. So that is what started my interest into... All things unexplained. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, tell us about nice. Squatch GQ Magazine. So Squatch GQ Magazine, I used to be the head writer of, and the former owner, uh, John Kuykendall, um, gave me the company as my Christmas present this year. And so wow. I have made some changes to it. Um, I kept the, the company um, name of Squatch GQ because everybody was familiar with it. But some of the magaz other magazine names have changed. So for cryptozoology magazines, there is Squatch GQ magazine, which is a little bit more lighthearted, um, uh, general, you know, cryptozoology information and then there's cryptozoology digest which is more analytical more evidence-based more science-based um so those two are um i've got the winter and summer editions out and then um new to the magazine line um we had a paranormal magazine called g hunter and um it did not the name of it just did not go over well with most people so the name of that magazine got changed to into the liminal abyss paranormal magazine uh, which used to be the name of my um paranormal podcast which is on hiatus because i do uh much more with the magazines and speaking engagements so it's i still have it might take it out brush it off you know get the mothman's off of it and uh, uh <laughs> you know uh run some podcasts here or there um, but right now, um, I replaced um, the former name of the magazine with uh, the new magazine, which is Into the Liminal Best Paranormal Magazine. We also have um, a magazine that is based on uh, dinosaurs, prehistoric creatures, paleontology, fossil hunting. And that one is called Dinosauria and Prehistoric Creatures. Um, there's two issues out on that also, A Winter and a Summer. Um, which are now, they're all currently available. And this fall, I will be producing a additional magazine on rock um, hounding and prospecting. 
for people who are like me who like to go looking for treasure um, and prying it out of the ground or, you know, wading through water to get it. So um, those are the magazines that um, I'm working on currently. Um, but you never know. I, I could decide to, to make a couple more. Uh, sleep's overrated anyways. <laughs> are, those, are those actual print magazines magazines yes they are available on amazon um you can either order them as a paper book or if uh you're not into having like you know magazines and books laying around you can get the ebook version um for kindle okay okay cool I was going to ask you how, how do you offer a subscription of any kind or is it just, you know, I, I found that unless you are a large magazine company that's doing hundreds of thousands of magazines per year, um, really the best way to go is Amazon. So I don't offer any subscriptions just because things can get lost in the mail or people start a subscription and a subscription it, it, it becomes uh, a bit of a, a annoyance after a while. So right. um, this way people can just order it straight off of Amazon. Or if they see me at events, I usually have the magazines and books with me at um, different paranormal conventions or cryptid cons. And they can get the uh, um, magazines from me there. Okay. Tell us about your books. So currently I have, um, for cryptozoology, I have a book on lake monsters and odd creatures of the Great Lakes. I have Mothman and other flying cryptids of the Midwest, um, which will be relaunching very soon. Um, I was having that published from another publisher. They are no longer available to do that, so I am taking the book back and will be uh, publishing it myself through um, my company, um, so those two are available. I also have a children's book called Tegan Grave uh, versus Bigfoot or The Marvelous Misadventures of Tegan uh, Gray. So, um, and that is um, actual photography of her in different little costumes going around my yard, um, interacting with Bigfoot and other creatures um, as she tries to solve the mystery of, of why Bigfoot crashed her tea party. And so it's, it's a, that's a children's book. So, um, it's, uh, kids have really liked it because she, she dresses up in little costumes and stuff like that. So, um, that's also available on Amazon. Cool. What's your favorite? So what's your favorite, um, cryptid? Lake monsters. Oh yeah. I have to think Lake Lake Monsters are my absolute favorite. Um just because they're kind of like the Schrodinger's cat of the cryptid world. You can't (laughs) prove that they're in the water, but you can't disprove that they're in the water. And our our Great Lakes, our oceans, our seas are so vast that new species are being found every year. So why can't we say that it's plausible that there might be a marine reptile of yeah. uh, mysterious, you know, um, I don't want to say origins, but, you know, a, a mystery uh, prehistoric marine reptile out there that um, is still swimming in the waters and just nobody's, you know, documented them yet. Yep. That's what, that's what I've always said, too. It's very possible to me that, a plesiosaur is that is that what we think this thing is? Yes, 
Plesiosaurs were the ones with the long necks, um, humped backs, and the small heads. The Mosasaurs were more alligator, crocodilian, monitor lizard type creatures um, that uh, had the, the large heads, the long jaws. If you think about it, a creature like that, a, a dinosaur that lived in the water, or any creature that lived in the water for that reason, for that matter, um, if you wanted to say that a meteorite destroyed the dinosaurs, okay, well, it's in the water. It can go down deep. It right. Can, it can avoid, uh, you want to say a flood destroyed the earth? Well, it's in the water. So yeah. yeah, they're still in the water. Anything swimming out there, yep. dinosaur-related or not, I think could have survived anything uh, oh, yeah. possibly, and I do believe that those creatures are out there because of that reason. Uh, well, the plesiosaurs and the mosasaurs are considered uh, prehistoric marine reptiles. They weren't related to the dinosaurs. Now, mosasaurs were um, their ancient ancestors were uh, monitor lizards, and we do know like things like the Komodo dragons. They do swim from island to island. And so they retained that ability to go into the water and swim. But we do know that we still have uh, marine turtles, like your, your leatherback turtles. We still have saltwater crocodiles, um, freshwater alligators, um, crocodilians of very um, different types. Um, you know, when you look at like the gharial and uh, caimans compared to your American uh, alligator, and your American crocodile, because people have released them so often that we do have American crocodiles, um, prehistoric snakes, sharks, all of these, you know, uh, even uh, whales, all of these water-based life forms, they, they are still living on today, even like octopus and giant squid. So why can't there be a marine reptile that is, very similar in appearance to the plesiosaur or the mosasaur still swimming out there and living in the, the, the watery depths today. Um, up, up until like 10 years ago, everybody thought that Moby Dick was just a work of fiction. And lo and behold, there are actually, there's been documented at least two pure white uh, whales, uh, sizable whales swimming in the ocean. And uh, so we know that that is now possible. So um, just when people say, oh, that's impossible, that that could never exist or, or you know, happen, lo and behold, something does happen. And you're like, yep, now explain that. Yep, exactly. They said the same thing about the mountain gorillas. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, um, primates alone. We, we discover new primates, um, usually one with a, one every three years or so. Um, and everything from the little tiny mouse lemurs um, that uh, Mira Major um, from Expedition Bigfoot found um, when she was with National Geographic's on Expedition, all the way up to mountain gorillas. So um, even um, bonobos. Which is kind of yeah. Like, those aren't that old. Yeah, no, those. no, and um, you know, people. Oh, that's just a chimpanzee. No, it's actually a different, mm-hmm. unique, mm-hmm. you know, primate from a chimpanzee. So every year, new things are being found, and it just depends on if you are in the right place at the right time of where these creatures are. Because yeah. they're not going to go looking for you. 
you're looking right. for, you know, you're looking uh, for a needle in a haystack and, oh, hey, is that new? Is that new? Yep. It's yeah, they're going to avoid us at all costs. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it says here that uh, you're the lead investigator for the Michigan chapter of the North American Dogman Project. Not to shift gears, but, yeah. but what, what's uh, your involvement in that and what's your thoughts on Dogman? So I believe Dogman is not, it's not, Dogman isn't anything like, what we see with Bigfoot. Bigfoot, I do believe, is a natural occurring species here on Earth, and we found evidence of them in the fossil record. But Dogman, I believe Dogman is something different. I think it's either interdimensional or it's alien in nature. And they just come here um, either as an uh, opportunity to observe uh, humans and see what the human race is doing or possibly they come here um to escape something or they're sent here because they are banished from you know where they originally um evolved from so i we haven't found anything in the fossil record that suggests that these creatures are you know natural occurring um even to say, you know, we do know that there's dire wolves, but the dire wolves were quadruped. They weren't bipedal. And more often than not, what people report seeing is a bipedal canine creature that is running on two legs, which is very different than a four-legged um, canine. So it, there is still a lot to investigate and information to collect on these creatures, Um to know exactly what they are, where they've come from, and what interactions they want to have with humans. Um, with them being an apex predator, similar along the lines of a Bigfoot, obviously if, if you run across one of them in the woods, you are the low, you're the lower species. Um, yeah. Don't care. No. Don't care what kind of gun you have with you, um, how good you are at hiking or survival. If you come across a dog man in the woods, chances are you're going to be hunted. Yeah. Todd loves werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're based in Michigan, right? Do you get out and look yeah. for these look for these guys or Bigfoot or, or whatnot? So um in years past, I have. Um, I, I do love to go hiking. I love to go exploring out into the woods. And you never quite... You can you can go out looking for Bigfoot and you might find everything else. Um, so you can never say, oh, I'm just going out looking for this one cryptid. Um, because chances are when you say, oh, I'm going to go out looking for this, you're going to find everything except that. Um, you know, you're walking over like, you know, dog man tracks and you know, stuff like that. So... Um, have not really been out this year doing any investigations just because I've been so big, busy with the magazines and traveling to Paracons and doing library presentations. Um, but I did have an interesting uh, situation where as I was traveling to a Bigfoot event up in Menominee, Michigan, through Michigan's UP, I had stopped at a rest area that's right on the Lake Michigan shoreline. And I have a little um, miniature pincher who travels with me. Um, usually it's her and her two uh, uh, children who travel with me. They're all small-sized dogs. 
and I was walking her up and down the beach um, just to get her some exercise. And as we were walking along, I came across these very large foot tracks that are very canine in, in appearance. And interesting thing about these foot tracks is I wear a size 10 shoe and these foot tracks were half the size of my foot in width and length. And they traveled to the water, and I did not see where they traveled back out of the water. So I'm guessing that they were in the water for a little bit and then came back up. Now, the other interesting fact is that these tracks were only about 100 feet from a very busy rest stop where people are pulling in all day and all night um, to use the facilities to walk up and down the beach. And here there are these very big foot tracks. Now, I did take pictures of them because I'm headed to a cryptid conference, and I'm like, ha-ha, I'm, you know, Ken, Ken Gigahart's going to be there. Uh, uh, Barnaby Jones with Cap um, Wisconsin is going to be there. Uh, Allison Dorland was going to be there. So I'm like, I'm going to show everybody these pictures and get everybody else's take. And they're all like, yep, that's definitely canine. But uh, that's either a very, very big wolf or it's something else. And I'm like, yeah, the, it came straight out of the woods, went into the water. And then wherever the return tra foot tracks were, um, were not lateral to that line of tracks. So something went into the water and came out at a different point and went back, hopefully, into the woods um, away from humans. But it was very interesting coming across that set of tracks. Definitely. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What paracon are you going to next? So my next, my next one is actually next, not this weekend, but next weekend. Um, it's Michigan Paracon, which is up in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. It's one of the biggest Paracons um, in the country that is just straight paranormal and cryptids and UFOs. Um, I know that some of the horror fests or scare fests sometimes have paranormal um, mm -hmm. like celebrities and stuff like that. But this one is just... It's just for the paranormal cryptids and, and UFOs. Um, so it's one of the biggest ones in the country. And it goes hmm. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so it's it's uh, right there at the Keweenaw, um Casino in Sault Ste. Marie. Hmm. Brian and I are thinking, why didn't we look into this? Or did we? <laughs> so I, was, I, think, I think we did, but I don't think we had enough time. So or they were... Right. They were already filled up. I don't remember. So that'll take a, that'll bring a lot of people in for sure. They have a huge turnout every year. Um, the the auto or the stage area auditorium um, is massive, and it is always filled, um, you know, wall to wall with people when uh, the presentations are going on. So, um, and they have pre everybody from the ghost hunters to the ghost brothers, presenters like myself, um, who are uh, just starting to get well-known. Um, uh, Expedition Bigfoot guys will be there. Russell Cord, uh, Cliff um, from Finding Bigfoot will be there. So uh, quite, a, quite a variety of different presenters and speakers. And something for everyone. Um, doesn't matter 
if you're just into the paranormal or you're just into UFOs or just into cryptozoology, there will be people there that uh, will be talking about things that you're interested in. And most of them are in the vendor's room too. So it's, uh, it's always nice to walk through the vendor room and talk to people and uh, have conversations with, with the different presenters. So it's, it's definitely worth going, if, even if you just want to go up in and walk around and collect business cards for uh, future podcasts. Because yeah. Lord knows, yeah, I, I, I've done that over the years um, for my own podcast. And, and now for the magazine, I, I walk around with, uh, you know, collecting cards and I have a little notebook. And I was like, would you like to, you know, do an interview for such and such magazine? And if they say yes, I hand them the notebook so that they can write their email address in it and then uh, I set it up after, you know, everybody gets back home. So yeah. it, it's a worthwhile event to go to. Speaking of the magazine, we met Johnny Kay uh, at the Iowa Paranormal oh, okay. yes. uh, Festival. Yeah. Last year. Um, mm. Last year. So that was pretty cool. And Bodine, the Bigfoot. Mm. Was oh, yep. Yeah. Yep, I'm, yeah. I'm friends with Bodine. Okay. Uh, yep. Is that his real Can name? It, That's really not his real name, though, is it? Um, <laughs> I, I'm friends with him, and I'm yeah. friends with his handler. Um, I call uh, his handler is uh, Jason Arthur, and uh, okay. I call him my uh, big brother. Okay, cool, cool, nice. Yeah, those guys are pretty fun. Yeah, they're they're yeah. wonderful. So, what do you normally speak about when you're at these conferences? Is, do you talk about kind of the the everything? Uh, do do you get into the paranormal, alien side of things? Well, lately I have been talking a lot about lake monsters, um, even though I'm well-versed in all cryptids, but uh, because lake monsters are kind of my thing, um, that is what I generally get to do presentations on. Um, now, like at the Bigfoot conference that we were just at a couple of weeks ago, if it's a small conference like that, I will generally uh, open it up to the room and ask them what they would like to hear me talk about. Um, and it's always weird because I will give them a choice of like four Bigfoot being one, um, Dogman being one, uh, Lake Monsters being one, Mothman being one, or sometimes I, I switch out Mothman for uh, reptilians. And it's interesting when you're at a Bigfoot conference and everybody votes for like the Lake Monsters or, um, the Mothman or something that's totally not Bigfoot related. Right. And so I think, you know, even though everybody's there to learn about Bigfoot, uh, people are just as interested in all the different um, other cryptids that are out there. And they want to learn about those, too. So I generally, you know, open it up to the room to see what they want to hear about. But a big convention like um, the one next weekend, they definitely booked me for my Lake Monster presentation. So that's what they're getting. They're getting Lake Monsters. Yeah, I think I voted for the Lake Monster presentation at that last show. I voted for Dogman, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I know there, 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 were, there was a few who voted Dogman, but uh, Lake Monsters beat it out, and it was like, wow, okay, <laughs> here yeah. we go. Let's talk about Bigfoot for a minute while we're here. Okay. I mean, what's your, whole, what's your whole grasp on that from start to finish? So I do believe that Bigfoot are a natural occurring um, species here on Earth, um, they are definitely well represented in the fossil records. Um, I think that they have learned through a process of watching human beings that human beings are not necessarily very good with other large predators. 
and to avoid us. Um, especially, you know, when we go into the, the woods with guns, you know, looking to shoot, um, deer and, and any other, um, living things in the forest. So I think Bigfoots have gotten very, very good at blending in with their surroundings and avoiding humans. And it's only when the Bigfoot chooses to interact with us that we get the chance sightings um, of seeing them or if the weather conditions are right and they leave a foot track um, or there's hair left behind and people are actually committed enough to carry a forensic kit, kit with them when they go hiking to collect that tuft of hair and preserve it and then send it into the right um, laboratories to get it analyzed to see is this primate, is it bear, is it, you know, a uh, deer, you know, what what is this uh, hair sample from? Um, another thing is the eDNA, but that is quite expensive to process and run. And you have to be very careful with how it's collected so that there's no cross-contamination. Um, you know, you, you have to be, like, gloved up and masked so that you're not breathing any, you know, DNA into the sample as, as you're collecting it. And so that there's no, oh, yeah, there's human DNA in here. Um, it's like, oh, of course there is, because you either sneezed or coughed while collecting right. it, and that cross-contaminates it. So, uh, But with Bigfoot, I, I do believe that they are out there, and um, there are many of them. There's m more than people what people realize. Um, I had a, a young man arguing with me over the weekend when I was at uh, Hannah House in uh, Indianapolis that there's only one Bigfoot. And I said, no, no, there are many Bigfoot Sasquatches. I said, that's like saying there's only one squirrel in this park. Um, I said, there, there's many of them. Wherever you have farms or cornfields or deer, you have the possibility of having Bigfoot and of having Dogman. So, and that's, I, I think people just think that there's one Bigfoot and he lives out in, you know, this, Washington, you know, Oregon. Washington yeah. Oregon, and, um, you know, uh, occasionally he vacations elsewhere. And it's like, no, no, there's, there's actually quite a few of these creatures, and um, there's not just one. Yeah. Yeah, coast to coast. I mean, they're, yeah. they're everywhere. And Florida. Yes. Cool. They call them skunk apes down there. Skunk apes, yeah. Yeah, skunk yeah. ape. Yep. Do you think these things have been around longer than us? Oh, I think they have. Um Going back, if we follow the fossil record, going back, these guys would have been when primates were coming to that fork in the road of, do we want to stay wild and a more primitive species like apes, gorillas, orangutans, or do we want to start using tools, start to be not just hunter-gatherers, but planting crops, building structures to live in, um, painting and drawing on, on walls and surfaces, documenting what we've seen, um, trying to form a, a written language almost. Um, that's where you start to see the split. And I believe that the Bigfoots went with the wild, you know, um, natural um, 
kind of like apes and gorillas and human beings, we went the other way of the um, uh, Neanderthals and uh, Cro-Magnon man and started to evolve into a much more advanced intelligent species. So do you think that Bigfoot is part human? Is it possible? I th- well, human beings are primates. Right. Gorillas right. are primates. Chimpanzees are primates. And if you look at the DNA, there is only a few percentages that separate chimpanzees from human beings. Right. So to say, are they human-like? Well, we're ape-like. Right. And so... You can't compare one without comparing the other, and it's just a process of how they interact, how they choose to use the natural world around them. Um, we do know that chimpanzees, we do know that orangutans, um, certain ape species, will use tools. They use little sticks um, to get ants and stuff, termites, out of um, trees. So they do use tools. And they have that thought process of, if I use this and this, I can do that. We also know that um, they're intelligent enough to learn um, American Sign Language and be able to communicate with us as a separate species. Um, and they're, you know, they've also demonstrated that certain apes have tried to teach other apes or chimpanzees sign language or a communication and that is really a determining factor when you're looking at it, intelligence of how do species communicate and do they have a language of their own do they have a um, writing ability do they have a way to communicate with others and we do know that some of these larger primates are showing that they can communicate Right. Yeah, look at Coco the the gorilla. Yes. You know. Yep. Yeah. All right, yeah. so let's switch gears here then. What's your thought on the Jersey Devil? Now, Jersey Devil is an interesting one because there's not really anything in the fossil record about it, but there is a lot of folktale and superstition about it. And this is one of those cases where it could have been a thought form that was made real. And I know that there has been different experiments throughout history. Albert Einstein was one of them that believed that if you put enough thought into something, you could make it manifest. And so if enough people talk about a certain paranormal activity, a certain ghost, a certain um, supernatural creature then if they're talking about it in a certain area, then after a while, something will start to manifest and develop and people will start reporting seeing things. And I think that's possibly what happened with the Jersey Devil. Um, You have a a mother, if, if the story is true, you have a mother who was overwhelmed with children. She's going to have her, her last and final child And she is so overwhelmed with it that she just curses it. And I'm, I'm a firm believer of watch what you say, because if you say it with enough energy, with enough conviction and belief behind it, 
it will manifest and become true. And so it said that when the baby was born, it was human, but after she cursed it, it started taking on the appearance of this devil-type creature and escaped from the home and then has been basically haunting the woods around uh, uh, the Pine Barrens ever since then. So, you know, without actually knowing what species it could be or is this a human, you know, uh, creature, uh, hominid or a, a um, you know, weird type of uh, entity, we will never know. But we do know that people see weird things on a, a daily basis and they have no explanation for what they see. So is it interdimensional? Is it something that's coming from one dimension into ours and we just see a brief glimpse of it and then it pops back out? Um, these are weird, you know, weird situations that we don't quite have the answers to yet. But all we do have is the eyewitness reports and the stories that go along with them and contribute to them. Well, I think technology is getting better and better. And I think eventually if those things are out there, we're going to see them. Well, hopefully I, mean, it, it, I know with, uh, with CCTVs, it's interesting what they, what they do get um, video evidence of. And who knows, maybe in the next five years, um, we will be able to, you know, put more uh, more definition on what some of these cryptid creatures are and how they get here, how they leave, why we only see them at certain times, and where they go the rest of the time. Yep. Do you think it's possible that the Jersey Devil could be a uh, pterodactyl or dinosaur? Now, that's another interesting one that I have heard. And with the pterodactyl um, idea, there are certainly enough reports out there where people are stating that they see a pterodactyl-type creature flying around. And there's two possibilities. Either, yes, there is or a pterosaur-type creature. Um, pterodactyl is a species. Um, pterosaur is the genus okay and there are over 180 different species of pterosaur out there oh, okay. um that we have fossil records of yeah Could so there, any one of those there's a possibility of something out there now mm-hmm. i have seen and, and i i know there's people out there that hate me when i say this but um here where i live in michigan we have a lot of cranes and water birds um herons and stuff like that now if these birds are flying directly overhead with their feet sticking out um from underneath of them they do look very pterosaur in appearance especially when you're just getting the black outline of them because of the sun and you're seeing them fly over top of you they are perfectly silhouetted against the sky, and they look like pterosaurs. I even jokingly call them pterosaurs because yeah, I do that uh, it's like I can't tell what kind of, if that's a crane or a heron, but it definitely looks like a pterosaur to me. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that there are very large species of water-going 
long-legged birds in the Pine Barrens in Jersey. And that when these guys take flight, that is the optical illusion that they're giving is looking like a pterosaur-type creature. And when they're flying through trees or over houses, you might just get a brief look at them before they're gone. And this could be possibly what people are seeing. But I never, you know, discount anything because not a lot of people go lurking into swamps, into bayous, into forests, into uncomfortable, you know, situations where you put yourself really at risk to see what kind of things are living there. So there could be natural occurring species that are, you know, living in those areas that we just have not documented yet because the times of the year when people go there might not be the times of the year when they're there. Right. Especially the Pine Barrens. That's just so vast there. Yes. Yes. And, you know, they've documented, you know, these big um, water holes and stuff like that in the Pine Barrens and lots of interesting, you know, areas. So you really, you know, you can claim to know what's out there, but I could claim a lot of things and just be like, oh, I did not know that salamander lived in in the the swamp across the the road from me. Um, That's a new discovery for me. So people discover new things all the time. And it's always a fascination of what could be out there and what is left to to find. I'm from the Great Lakes and we have lots of lake monster reports. So, um, and they range from giant fish all the way down to dragon type creatures. Um, you know, the amalgamations, um, even, uh, a merman report from Lake Superior. So there are, really, there is, Oh yes. Yes. Um, the merman report. I hear that Superior. one. Um, the creature is actually called the great Manitou Nibba Nibbus. And he is considered by the Native Americans to be the god of the lake. And the report that we have of when there was an eyewitness report of of this creature, um, there were fur traders with a Native American woman who were making their way around Lake Superior. And they were collecting fur hides and they were having her help with um, negotiations between other tribes and what kind of fur pelts they wanted. So they had been on the lake for a couple of days and they decided that they would stop at Pie Island um, because it looked like a good place to do some trapping. So they were just pulling their canoes up on to the banks of the island and one of the men happened to look out into the water and saw what he thought was a four-foot beaver. Which would have been a huge pelt. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> that, would make, that will make a poor man rich in, in you know, uh, yeah. a couple of days because beaver pelts were worth quite a bit of money. And so as he's getting his gun, the Native American woman realizes what the commotion's about. And she's telling the men, no, you can't shoot that thing. That It's not a beaver. It's, that's not what that is. And the men are like, no, 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 that's clearly a beaver. And as this this is going back and forth, the creature raises up in the water and they can see, oh, nope, this has a human head and shoulders and arms and it waves at them and then it proceeds to dive underneath the water and they can tell that the bottom end of it was very fish-like and they're like, okay, that wasn't a beaver. 
And the woman uh, is just um, horrified. And she's like, we need to get into the middle of the island now and start building a, uh, a, um, a living, you know, area. Uh, something that you know we can we can hide out in for a couple days, mm-hmm. and and the men are like, no 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 no, uh, we're gonna go set some some beaver traps and uh, finish pulling these canoes up. And she's like, no no no, you don't understand that that was the great Nibbid Nibbus. He's going to send a storm, and the men are like, whatever. So she goes into the middle of the island and starts building a a shelter um, for for them and. The men, you know, get the trap set and they notice that the sky is turning very black and the wind is picking up all around them and seems to be blowing straight at the island. So they quickly start making their way into the middle of the island. They finally find the Native American woman and they help her start finishing up the shelter. And it's then that these raindrops start uh, coming and pretty soon a storm like none of them has ever seen starts hitting the island and for the next three days and three nights this storm rages and on the fourth day the sun returns and she's like don't you ever point a gun at that creature again and so we now have the report of a that is our merman report of lake superior is the great nibba nibbus um and so um and that's part of the native american legends Something else we can add to our list yeah. of cryptids. That's awesome. Did you say that you had a big fish report somewhere up there in Michigan, one of the lakes? So there, there is, uh, there's also the Native American legend of the giant sturgeon, which was said to be a 30 to 40 plus sized fish and was rumored to have dented in at least one um, ship hole um, on a steamer ship. Wow. And uh, the report goes that as the boat was making its way across Lake Superior, it was suddenly hit by a wave from behind, but something also struck the front of the ship at the same time. Both of these occurred with so much force that it released the anchor chains from both ends of the ship and broke the housing. So they had to hand crank the, the chains and the anchors up and when they got into port, they they had somebody uh, dive under the boat and look, and they said that the whole of the boat was dented under, you know, dented in. And so whatever had hit them um, had hit them with such a force that it caved in the whole of the, the boat. But whatever hit them also created a huge wave um, at the same time. So... A lot of Native Americans believe that that was the great sturgeon. Um, it hit them with its head, and then its tail, you know, slapped at the water um, and and created the great wave. Also, cool. Uh, Lake Michigan, for example, they say there's only like maybe five different species of fish in there. I've heard. Uh, I don't really know if I believe that, but I um, I, I do know with Lake Michigan, I do know that there's perch, there's sunfish, there's salmon. There's a couple of different species of salmon. Um, there's your sturgeon. And those are, you know, the salmon they, they fish for all the time. 
Um, perch are always good. I, I know that's what we fished for when we were kids there and would fish off of the docks in Grand Haven in uh, uh, Holland, Michigan. Um, so it was always salmon or perch that we were fishing for. Um, now, Lake Michigan is interesting because the only monster reports we have are giant turtle reports from the Lake Michigan area. Um, the other Great Lakes have like the sea serpents, the plesiosaurs, the, you know, uh, water dragons and, and things like that. But Lake Michigan only has the two giant turtle reports, uh, the Stearns Bayou monster and the Lake Wielinaw monster. Those lakes are huge. I, no matter what anyone says, there could be anything in those lakes. As oh, big yeah. as those lakes are. Oh, yeah. Well, Lake Superior, certainly, Especially um, Superior being so deep. Oh, yes. Lake Superior is so deep that her bottom depths are so cold that there, there's a reason that they say that Lake Superior never gives up her dead. And that's because the bottom of the lake is so cold that bodies do not bloat. Mm -hmm. And so there's a shipwreck down there, um, the USS um, Kamloops. And there is actually a um, human body down there. And divers who have gone down, that's a technical dive. And the only reason people go down and dive on that wreck is scientists who are, or uh, marine archaeologists who want to verify the, um, the ships, you know, uh, whether it's still intact, whether, you know, it's getting torn up from anchor strikes. Um, but people who have gone down and actually gone through that ship have been scared out of their minds because a human corpse comes floating out of one of the rooms with the wake that they make as they're, as they're swimming through, and it follows them. And <sighs> seems to be interacting with them when actually it's just a, a human body in water. But if any ship should be haunted, um, that one should because it's got definite human remains on it. Um, and another ship, uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald also has human mm -hmm. remains around it. Um, the skulls of the crew have been found outside of the ship and it's, um, it's a national law, maritime law and a federal maritime law that if there's human remains around a shipwreck, you are not allowed to bring anything up from the ship. Right. That's a, yeah, that's the burial site. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the famous Edmund Fitzgerald uh, song was written about it. Yep. Yeah. You're in a prime spot there where you're at in Michigan. You've got all kinds of stuff going on between the Dogman, the Bigfoot, <laughs> the, the sea creatures, the giant fish, uh, you name it, they're all there. So you definitely picked a good location to be Michigan's definitely a hotbed doing for your sure. studying. And, and we're glad we're Oh, close. yeah, we, we, get, we get quite a few Bigfoot reports, Dogman reports, UFO reports, lots of paranormal um, locations to go investigate. Um, lake monsters are plenty because we've got we've got three big great lakes around us. Um, only thing we're kind of missing is like the flying cryptids, mm -hmm. so we don't get a whole lot of hosts. Yeah, like no. Mothman or Jersey Devil and whatnot. Right. Oh, and we have the Nain Rouge. The Nain Rouge is a Detroit um, original um, character legend. Um, he was said to um, be the 
mortal enemy of uh, Cadillac, the one who founded Detroit uh, when he came over from uh, Canada. And he was told not to engage the name Rouge. And lo and behold, he was out strolling along the Detroit River with his wife. And the name Rouge popped out of the bushes and he proceeded to beat him with his cane. And since then, the name Rouge has been the harbinger of doom for the city of Detroit. Okay. And every March, we have a parade where we chase him through the, sea, uh, the city streets of, of Detroit and we throw him in an old uh, Cadillac and drive him down to Toledo, <laughs> put him out of the car. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, what is it? It is, well, the Neen Rouge is, the easiest explanation is he's a Luton. So, similar to like a leprechaun or a brownie or an imp. Okay. Um, not fairy-like, but very, um, well, Luton is the term for anything describing uh, leprechauns or small creatures like that. Um, that have a very distinct form to them. Um, short, kind of chubby, think garden gnome, but evil. Dressed all in red. Is it kind of like we a were, We work with a couple of those. No, <laughs> well, Pukwudgies tend to stay more in the woods, and they're smaller. Um, your biggest Pukwudgie is probably only a foot tall. Oh. Whereas the Nain Rouge is described as being the size of a four-foot child. All that stuff's awesome, and we appreciate you coming on and talking to us about that. I think I learned a couple of things tonight from you. I know I did. Awesome. We'll look for you at the next uh, Paracon, Crypticon, whatever that might be. Are you going to uh, the Crypticon in Lexington? November. I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. We'll I won't there. be there as a presenter, but I might just go down to check it out. Depends on how the weather is. Yeah. Because, you know, awesome. November is when the... the Cold weather starts to come in and uh, yeah. pretty much can ruin everything. So, right. well, we'll look for you regardless when, when we're out and about. But, uh, okay, excellent. Do you have a website for the magazine or something we can give so to her? You can, you can find, um, you can find myself and the magazine, Squatch GQ uh, magazine on Facebook, on Amazon. Um, there is a website um, that's just kind of like a landing page. For the magazine um, that gives information about what each one of the magazines is about. Um, I have uh, Shatan Noir Cryptozoologist um, website, so people can find me on Facebook or Amazon or just by Googling uh, Squatch GQ Magazine or my name, Shatan Noir. Okay, cool. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you again for taking oh, the welcome. time to, to talk thank to you. us. Yeah. It was very interesting. Um, just glad to hear about that mermaid thing. I'm going to check into that some more. That's pretty oh, cool. Well, yes, it's very interesting. All right, it's good talking to you. You take care. Thanks, Shatan. You're welcome. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. 
I'm glad we brought Shatana on. She's just got so much information, you know. Me too. Yeah, she's very knowledgeable. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will get a lot of good information out of this episode. Yes, definitely. And I do want to check out her magazine, Squatch GQ. And for the listeners, if you're able to, uh, grab a copy and uh, see what it's all about. It looks like a really well-done magazine from what I can see. Yeah, yeah. Look her up on on Facebook and uh, shatannoir.com, I think she said. Yep, or just maybe uh, Google uh, Squatch GQ. Or Squatch, yeah. Check Google Magazine. And while you're at it, they can Google our website, Brian. They can Google our website. It is www.cryptidcreatures.net. Awesome. It is like a one-stop shopping for all things cryptid creatures. So go check us out. Yeah, you guys can go there. You can tell us about your encounter. You can just type it out and send it to us, and we'll check it out. Uh, We'd love to hear from you, and um, we appreciate you guys listening. All of you, all the time. Thank you again. Right on, man. Until next time, brother, I will talk to you later. Yep, yep. See ya. (laughs) 